0: One of my goals and sort of one of the things I consider success is, you know, when I hear from people, you wrote this story and now I'm hearing from my president or the provost and they're saying, is this a problem for us? How are we handling it? What kind of support do you need?
1: Hi, I'm Jessica.
2: And I'm Girish.
1: And this is the Destiny Benders podcast, where we explore the impact of international education on the lives of students and professionals from across the globe. It's a podcast for international educators, by international educators, and about international educators.
2: And in each episode, we'll be meeting with Destiny Benders of our industry. We'll look beyond the job title and really get to know the people whose mission it is to change lives and bend destinies. Our guest today is Karen Fisher, an international education reporter, a correspondent, and the publisher of her own newsletter, Latitude, Karen, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, Karen. Great to see you. Thank you so much for joining us today on Destiny Vendors. Hey,
0: Jessica. Good to be with you.
1: So, Karen, I think I'd like to ask you first, how did you initially get involved in writing about international education? I know for many of us in the field, you're seen as an expert because you wrote for the Chronicle for many years, and we look toward toward your articles as sort of, you know, a beacon of what's going on in international education. How did all of that get started? Well, honestly, a little bit accidentally.
0: I uh, had been a journalist for a few years. I had been covering politics, actually covering Congress and the White House um, for a chain of papers and um, came to the Chronicle to cover politics and policy, essentially, in higher education. I hadn't been a higher ed reporter at all. And a couple of years into doing that, I um, was asked to join a sort of a series of articles that they were doing um, about the various aspects of international education. They really didn't have anybody who was just strictly covering it. And um, I did it. I liked it. And uh, so I just kept doing it. I mean, I joke that they asked me to do it because I was like the most international person in the newsroom because I have a Canadian passport, but I mean, I just honestly, that's, it was just, I think I I had an affinity for it. It was a really interesting time of things really shifting. It was right as sort of the the growth in international students really exploded. And it just, just, it seemed to offer such a wealth of, of possible stories that I was really intrigued.
2: But then you stayed with it, right? So obviously it was interesting and intriguing enough for you to stay. But before we get into that, Tell us a little bit about you, right? So you're from Canada. You said you have a Canadian passport. So tell us a little bit about your journey to become a journalist.
0: So, yeah, I grew up in Canada in a a little province in far eastern Canada called Newfoundland, which is probably honestly closer to Europe than much of the rest of Canada um and I uh, grew up there my parents divorced, moved to um, New England um went to uh, liberal arts college so I'm not trained as a journalist but knew that I wanted to be a reporter um, for a long time you know had a job writing for the like hometown weekly paper in high school and you know just all the kind of natural internships and things like that I just um, for me journalism was kind of just a sort of a twofer one I I really I mean not always as my editors will tell you but um for the most part I like the craft of writing but I also really like the other side of of journalism too which is getting to meet lots of people and talk to them and hear their stories um just I'm a really kind of curious person and I think i curious about other people not maybe I am also a curious person but um Curious about other people, and you know, journalism is sort of like that passport to getting to ask people about all kinds of things that you. It would probably be fairly inappropriate to do in other contexts.
2: Because you know, I've seen you know, many a conferences huddled away in a corner trying to hit a deadline. You want to report on something you just learned, um, so that must be really really exciting. Uh, I'm always curious how somebody is able to have these conversations and then quickly put it in such easily digestible format. So that's really, really cool. We've really enjoyed, like Jessica said, all the stuff that you do, all the stuff that you write.
0: I mean, I was gonna say, I guess that's the other part of of journalism that I also, that I like is, is kind of making sense of things, sort of, as you say, kind of taking, you know, the 10 conversations you had and sort of synthesizing them or picking out something that Didn't really seem that remarkable, but yet, if you put it in context, it's sort of indicative of a broader
1: trend and trying to ferret those things out is also kind of a, it's kind of a rewarding challenge. Absolutely. I have, or I used to be in the States, subscribed to your Latitude newsletter. So can you tell us a little bit more about that?
0: Sure. Um, you know, as you noted before, I I started out writing about international education for the Chronicle and um, of higher education. So that gave me, in some ways, a lot of opportunities to, to kind of go big, um, you know, to, to go to India for three weeks and, you know, to, to examine why, despite the fact it's such a promising country for higher education. You know, it's just really hard for universities, not just American universities, but Western universities in general, to get a foothold or, you know, go to China and write about the growth in in the prep market for international students. Um, And this is shifting somewhat at the Chronicle, for which I still write as well. But there wasn't as much of an opportunity to write the smaller stuff, the news. I felt like I just was kind of telling people everything that I was learning on my Twitter feed. And so, um, you know, it's it's what, like the, the heyday of newsletters. So about three years ago now, almost exactly, actually three years ago, um, I said I would give it a try. And I t- worked with a little, you know, bouncing ideas off a friend of mine, and you know, it's like I'll see for a couple of weeks if people subscribe or, you know, if people read it, and and they did, and it lets me kind of get a lot of that day to day news that maybe you know for an audience in the Chronicle who are everybody in universities and policymakers and higher ed and all those folks maybe they're not as interested in, but the people who. You know did do international recruiting who work in education abroad, you know, who are in the international offices or in the, the kinds of businesses that support them, um, are interested. And so it gives me an opportunity to write, you know, those kinds of, of pieces and those kinds of stories. But it also, I don't know, I feel like it's let me build a kind of a different relationship with my readers as well. You know, there's something about the Chronicles kind of an institution which has been really great, but I feel like the the newsletter, it's in my voice, not that Not that my stories, my reported pieces aren't, but I don't know. I feel like it's a conversation I'm having with readers and I hear from a lot of them. So it is, it is somewhat of a two-way kind of
2: dialogue.
1: Oh, absolutely. I get that impression when I read them as well, exactly, that it is a dialogue, and people enjoy interacting with you through that.
2: So, Karen, our podcast is called Destiny Benders, uh, and the goal of this podcast is to really feature people around the world who are in the international education world whose work changes lives and bends people's destinies, right? A first brush when we talk to a reporter, you know, like yourself. And people might say, but she's a reporter and how is her work changing lives or bending destinies? And I beg to differ. I think you have a big impact in this world, at least personally for me, knowing you for all these years from our first Twitter engagement in San Francisco to all these years of, you know, attending conferences and having all those conversations and reading everything you write. I think you play a very important role in that for especially folks on this side of the bench. So if you could reflect on that, what can you say about your work that you think makes a big impact on people's lives that use your words and your stories, the changing of their lives based on what you're writing? Could you reflect on it a little bit?
0: Gosh, how to answer this without seeming kind of conceited. <laughs> it's
2: tough, right? There's no conceit. It's your work. This is what you do.
0: I, I guess I think of it in a couple of ways, maybe. Um, one is like to go back to the th- the point about the Chronicle is that um, it is writing for both for the people who, who work in international education, but for the, the people more broadly in higher education. And um, One of my goals and sort of one of the things I consider success is, you know, when I hear from people, you wrote this story and now I'm hearing from my president or the provost and they're saying is this a problem for us? How are we handling it? What kind of support do you need? And so the the extent to which um, across universities, within higher education policy circles that, you know, there aren't a lot of people, unfortunately, who do write. I mean, you noted Jessica, it's kind of a, a niche that I have. And so there's not that many people who are writing about this. And so I feel like I can kind of shine that light on on these issues. I also feel, and particularly for students, which is, I mean, I love talking to folks like you, but I, I love, love, love talking to students. I mean, they just energize me. And I feel like international students um, in particular are often kind of overlooked on their campuses. They keep in their own communities. Sometimes they, they sh- struggle to integrate. I would also say that Colleges struggle to figure out how to always support them adequately. Um, And so for those students, also for students who have other international experiences, Americans going abroad, for example, I help them feel heard um, and I help tell their stories and and make them people to me. Like I always think about, um, you know, just like on my Facebook feed, you know, I hear from somebody that I went to high school with about, you know, a student seeming seeming real to them and, and these illuminating these problems that they they didn't think about or these people that they never considered on their their campuses. And so you know that's both people within higher education, but it's just also people who are like, oh, Yeah, you know, I did notice that there are more Asian looking people in my community and, oh, that's why they're here. Oh, there's really a wave of Chinese students and these are their experiences and their challenges. And so I, I hope that that I can give give them more of a voice, too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that really highlights why it's so important to tell people's stories in international education, not just focusing on yesterday, Girish and I were talking about the numbers, A lot of focus on the numbers, but actually what's so important is the people. That's more important than the numbers is the people and their stories. We're telling them, you're telling them, and any opportunity we have to get to know people and their stories is an important one. Yeah, that's a great way to to put it. I mean, I don't want to discount numbers and
0: analysis and trends and those things, but. I did a a piece last summer about, um, you know, a group of of students, some of whom I had met a few years ago from this university in Afghanistan. Well, the university is in Bangladesh, but the students were in Afghanistan and they they had to escape female students Mm -hmm. under, you know, with the Taliban encroaching. And, you know, I'm in California and I wrote a story. And by the time they they were brought here to the U.S., they were evacuated um, finally. And um, by the time I got up here in California, um, I already had my inbox full of people who at universities who wanted to take the students in and give them wow. a home. And so that's the, you know, sometimes it's, it, you know, I could have written, you know, it was, it was not me. It was the stories of those students that were so compelling. And so sometimes I feel like it's not anything I'm doing so much as like sort of just being the The channel through which people get to understand and learn about these other really, really interesting, thoughtful, remarkable people and especially students.
2: But you're giving them a voice, right? That's very important. That's what that's what you're doing. So how do you, Karen, I mean, there's so many stories happening, so many things related to international education all the time, every day. How do you sort them out? How do you decide on what's important to report on?
0: Oh, God, that makes it sound like systematic. (laughs) You know, like I have some kind of science to do this. You know, I I talk to as many people as I can, um, whether it's, you know, we're all trapped now in our little Zoom bubbles. But, you know, I try to to communicate, obviously, in the before times, I tried to, get out on campuses and to travel as much as I could that is curtailed, but I still try to, to have conversations, you know, whether it's checking in by email or Twitter, you know, often somebody will see something happening on their own campus and not, you know, understand that it's a problem in their campus. And maybe, you know, they'll go on a NASA, NASA listserv and, and be talking about it, but often they just think it's their, their issue to bear. And so, you know, one of the nice things about the, the newsletter is I think much more than when I was just writing articles is, I don't know, maybe it's like the bar to end Entry is lower for people, but they'll, they'll, they just, I, I less have to go look for stories now. People proactively tell me, did you hear about this? I'm really worried about that. Um, I'm super excited about this thing that's happening. And so, so that is. That's one channel through which I do it. And then I, I just also keep a huge Google Doc with uh, <laughs> dozens of story ideas long and short and how I want to hit them. And my editor will tell you that it sometimes takes me like something will percolate in my head for years and then it'll be something like, oh, wait. Here's the time to write it.
2: Seems like a really cool process of going through that.
0: Maybe it's a little, uh, yeah, it's probably not the most organized. It's not like some big spreadsheet or something, but yeah.
1: And what next for you, Karen? Do you think you'll stay? covering international education or have you ideas uh, to branch to other topics or something else entirely that you'd like to do how do you see yourself in the future and, and your career I mean
0: it's always the way journalism is today it's always a little tenuous right but um and I do I should say write about other things I mean I write about still write about politics of higher education for example. I love international education. Um, I find it really rewarding at SU here. I have no shortage of, of things that I think are, are stories that need to be told. And so, you know, my, my hope is to, to honestly to keep doing it, to, you know, I, I've expanded, I guess, a little bit more of what I do. You know, first it was the, you know, moving from from straight news to the newsletter. Um, I did a podcast and radio project. Last year, um, I am involved sometimes in some little bit more of an academic um, writing about international education, but I mean, I think honestly, my ambition is just to, to keep going because I feel like there's, there's still so much to, to talk about and discuss.
2: Yeah. Well, we certainly hope that you keep going. Uh, we enjoy all your work. Uh, but, you know, I, I I have to ask you this. Of all the years of reporting and writing, is there one story that you reported on or that you've written about that just stands out to you that was just so impactful or meaningful or just moved you? Can you think of one? I know it's got to be hard to think of one, but if you were to pick one, what was that?
0: Yeah, it is. It's like, you know, being asked to choose some of your children, right?
2: <laughs> but, um... that's, that's easy. That's very easy to do,
0: (laughs) Jessica. I can do that quickly. Wow, Father of the Year. (laughs) Uh, Okay, Um, so I don't, I don't, I don't know if this is true, but maybe it's just top of mind. I mean, I think honestly, this last, these last two years have been so, so tough. I mean, they've been tough for everybody in every aspect of their lives, but obviously, they've been so incredibly disruptive to international education. And so I guess I would probably pick um, a piece that I did, uh, which actually then ended up feeding into this radio project as well. But I did where I kept in touch. Um, as is always my process, I start talking to you know several dozen students and end up kind of focusing in on just a couple. And so I spent months talking to what became a story about a pair of students, one who had gone home up towards the start of the pandemic and now was stuck in China, finishing her senior year, getting up, you know, at dinner time, doing her classwork from, you know, 9 p.m. to 4 a.m. in China. You know, the, she was living essentially on the Eastern Standard Time, even though she was in a, a Chinese city. And so, um, just her kind of on one side kind of dealing with this, this this remote learning and on the other side, a student who was unable to, to travel home, actually, um, and for a while was one of very few students. She was at a liberal arts college that just, you know, had almost a, every student except for a handful of international students had gone home. And so for the better part of nine months, she was one of maybe a couple dozen students on her campus, period. And just that isolation and her struggles to to engage with her family who were half a world away and worried about her and scared and she was a freshman at, at the time and you know this was clearly not, not the um the american college experience that she had hoped for but just to tell those two stories and to see see the pandemic through their eyes and to sort of ask, you know, we all had known, we've all been thinking for those people who are immersed in international education, you know, we have kind of those sort of perennial debates and all of a sudden it just became so much more existential. How do you get through the day when you for a while wasn't she wasn't this student who was in the US was couldn't even congregate with the other students who were also um, here so she was just sort of stuck in her dorm room you know hearing other people through the wall and so what was that kind of isolation like and how do you get through and then so I think that was just a, because the students were so open and honest um, just a really Powerful story for me to hear.
2: That's great. I hope you do a follow up piece with both those students to see how they have progressed through their academic careers years from now. That'll be really interesting to see how this made an impact on them, positive or negative.
0: Yeah, yeah. I love doing that actually, trying to, they, the students probably don't always appreciate it, but I always love trying to stay in touch with them and to kind of hear, you know, some of journalism feels very transactional sometimes. And so, but these are people who, who I really got to know their lives. And so you want to just kind of hear how the the things that seem obviously from my vantage point, like they're going to be so powerful and leave such an imprint on them. Yeah, you want to know how how it turned out?
2: Well, let me pick up on what you just said, right? From your vantage point, and you also alluded to it being very transactional at times, right? And all the international educators, hopefully all the audience, our audience who listens to this podcast, in their day-to-day jobs, they may also seem to be very transactional in nature. So from your vantage point, given the opportunity you have to interact with so many different people across industry. What are some things that you would like to share or what are what are some pieces of advice that you'd like to give and how do you make it so that you don't end up being very transactional in your day-to-day job? How do you remind yourself to step back and think about the broader picture, whether you're a counselor at a high school or a recruiter at a university or an administrator or whoever it may be? What are, what are some thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, that has, I mean, I don't envy people in those positions because, you know, you have to kind of, your job is to put out fire sometimes. <laughs> And so and I think it is really hard to, to, to step back and to see the bigger picture. And so I, I mean, I like to think, I mean, I'm a, I'm a journalist. And so I do, my job is to, to look with clear eyes and to to see what's going on in the field. Some of that's good. And, and some of that is not. But I also feel like, I mean, I've been doing this for a dozen years now. Um, I've gotten to know a lot of people. One of the things that, was probably more than when I'd say I was a congressional reporter. Uh, people some people sort of deliberately come to this work. Some people kind of fall into it and and find that it is a is a really perfect marriage for them. Uh, but is the rare person that I meet who does this work who, who doesn't feel really passionately about it who really it, i think people are very motivated in the field of international education in in all aspects of it because they 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 have some sort of guiding principles and passions and i i suspect that it can be difficult when you are you know, dealing with the umpteenth SEVIS update, to or you know the the visas that you cannot get unstuck in the consulate, you know, in Turkey. I know it can be difficult to remember. Those things. I have the luxury, right? I mean, not always. I mean, often I'm just like publishing my newsletter every week. I read lots of articles. So I understand like the day-to-day churn too, but I do have the benefit of kind of stepping back a lot more, perhaps than the person in the trenches and seeing the big picture. And so I guess if I had some advice, it would be to do that, to to sort of re- To check in, you know, with yourself and to say, like, here's why I do this. I don't do this because I love filling out paperwork. I do this because of these brighter goals. And they are, you know, if you believe in the values of international education, you know, to remind yourself, oh, yeah. I mean, it might not seem it today as I'm struggling to figure out like health protocols, but I'm getting, you know, maybe it's only 10 students this semester, but they're going abroad and they're having this experience. And they wouldn't if I wasn't doing this job. And just to remind
1: yourselves, I guess there's real value and worth in the things that you do. I think that's that's fantastic advice because. Certainly it can get very difficult to remember that when you're in the midst of responding to the 300th email with the exact same question how do i apply to your university <laughs> without going just look at the website <laughs> the information is all there I, I know that in my life i have many of the time wanted to respond like that and so i think that's fantastic advice to you know to just take a step back We do this as international educators because we love it. We, as you said, believe very firmly in the idea of international education and the benefits that it will bring to not only the student, but to everybody else who's involved. And to step back and really remind ourselves of that. I know that there were times when I probably should have should have taken it five minutes out to do the same. Yeah. You probably don't feel like you can though, because you have like 299
0: Does more you emails to get to.
1: <laughs> exactly.
2: Well, this is great. Well, thank you so much. Um, you know, one of the things that we like to do at the end of our podcast is to just ask a few quick fire questions, just random questions about random things that we'd like to know about you. And I'll start. My favorite question always to ask is, what is your favorite place to eat?
0: These days, right here my office, which is also (laughs) my dining room. (laughs) In the before times, my my absolute favorite place, though, is this little uh, restaurant in um, a basement in DuPont Circle in D.C. called Little Sarah.
1: Awesome. 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 Northern Thai food. Delicious. There you
2: go. Going on my list. Going on my list.
1: So I'm going to be a little bit cheeky now and ask a question that I kind of know the answer to. What's your favorite sports team? (laughs) Yeah. You've uh, looked on my uh,
0: Twitter feed. (laughs) It's the Washington nationals. Yeah. I'm a big baseball fan. Why? Well, Well, so as you noted, I grew up in Canada. And the Washington Nationals um, have been the Washington Nationals for about a dozen years. But before that, they were the um, Montreal Expos. And uh, so when you um, only have public television, they have the CBC, they they play all the Expos and the Blue Jays games. So
2: in the before times, as you refer to it, as you travel a lot. And when you traveled, what were three things that you always packed?
0: Oh, gosh. Yeah, I've only uh, traveled a couple of times to see my family now. So uh, it's like a like exercise and old muscles or something. I always bring my iPad um, because the plane um, was the t- place that I always got a lot of reading done, a lot of work too, but a lot of reading on you know those long trips. So I always bring that. Um, I always bring my water bottle because hydration is important. <laughs> So one other thing I would always bring, probably a pair of running shoes, because I think it's really fun to explore wherever you are kind of on foot, Um, you know, like one of my favorite memories is I went to Myanmar and got to go running and everybody like looked at me as if I was a crazy person, but I got (laughs) to see kind of all of you know, uh, like explore like neighborhoods in Yangon that I would never, nobody was going to take me there if I drove. And so to run, I could see everything and and stop and talk to people and, you know, interact on a human level that you, you don't see when you're sort of pressed with your face against the car window. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah. What's your, What was your favorite place to visit?
0: Ever? Yeah, um, ever. Yeah, my favorite city is Hong Kong. Oh, I okay. love Hong Kong, yeah. It's a little tough to watch
2: what's going on there now. But, yeah. Yeah. Where's one place that you've not gone to that you would like to go?
0: Um, you know, I've never, I've only have ever been to like Northern Africa, um, yeah, you know, Algeria, um, Morocco. Uh, so I'd love to go beyond kind of that sort of Mediterranean bit of Africa. Yeah.
1: I have one last on one. One, which, I'm sorry. one last question that I, I'm curious because you you said you take your iPad to read. What's your favorite book? Favorite book of all time? Maybe The Secret History by Donna Tartt. But
0: I might have just thought that because I just listened to a podcast about it. And so I just reread it. Um, But yeah.
2: What's it about?
0: Yeah, I don't know it. Oh, um, it's about um, a group of students who are studying Greek at a, um, a New England private college and a murder that happens.
2: It's a murder mystery. Interesting.
0: No, it's not a mystery, but anyway, it'll be a mystery that you could go read it.
2: <laughs> I'm going to go read now. now. Yeah, cool. Well, Karen, thank you so much for being part of our podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, like I've said before, it's been a pleasure watching or reading rather, following you uh, and all the work that you do. So I hope you continue to do this for years more.
0: Yeah, thanks. Thanks. It was, it was fun to, to chat. So I appreciate you thinking of me.
1: You've been listening to the Destiny Benders podcast. Join us next week. We speak with Bobby Mehta, Associate Pro Vice Chancellor, Global Engagement at the University of Portsmouth.